Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, Exodus 20, verse number 16. If you don't have a Bible with you in front of you, there's, one on, there's a screen uh, right up here behind me as well. Let's read this together out loud. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, or we sometimes look at it in, uh, in the King James text that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness, false testimony and false witness. Uh, it's really just a fancy way of describing lying. So what this text is telling us is we must be honest in our dealings as children of God, um, as those who are to bear the marks of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to be truthful in all of our dealings as well. So the simplest way of understanding this commandment is simply don't lie. All right. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray as your messenger uh, that I would just hide behind the cross. I pray that uh, the words today that, we, that I speak and that we hear today would be your words. I pray, Lord, that you would speak loud and clear to us. May we open our hearts and our lives and our spirits to what you have for us today because you are the one who has the words of life. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So I want to start off this morning by kind of taking a poll. If you've been here for any part of this series, I'm just kind of trying to gauge because I know that, you know, with, with the way things are, with sickness and travel and all of those types of things, sometimes you can't catch the whole series when it's like this long, okay? How many of you have been here uh, for at least like three or more of the messages or you've been able to at least tune in or catch them, okay? How about five or more, okay? Seven or more? Okay, how many of you have been here for every last one of them? Yeah, that's you. I can see you with the droopy eyes and the beaten presence. And I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Now, um, now, in light of what we're covering today, how many of you just lied with that? You wanted to look better than you really have. Really only like. Now, how many of you stayed awake through all of them, though? There's, okay, okay, everybody, okay, good. Today might be the day that you fall asleep. You got to gain that extra hour somehow, right? Uh, anyway, so <clears throat> this, hopefully this series has helped you with your understanding of the team. How many of you would say, that this has, this series, as we've walked through this together, has kind of helped your understanding of the Ten Commandments a little bit more. I know I personally have grown a lot from being able just to sit down and, and rehash these and prepare and study and look at sources that I've never really considered looking at before and learn from those. I've learned so much more. Um, how many of you say, I will look at the Ten Commandments in a completely different way than I, than I ever have? Okay, good. I know for me personally, the thing that has really kind of stuck out to me the most is that the Ten Commandments are not just a list of eight rules, uh, of eight don'ts and two do's, all right? It's actually, the, they serve as like a window into the character and into the nature of God. That's kind of what I've been seeing. It's not just, here's what God wants me to do and here's what God doesn't want me to do. So here's my checklist that I follow and Derek will be a good little Christian I've learned through this, it's more than just looking at it from a legalistic standpoint. These are a window into the heart and into the character of who God is. But it's also a window and a, a really good look into the heart and in the character of who we are, aren't they? And those two pictures of the heart and character of God and the heart and character of, of us as humanity are really, really different. We don't have the heart of God many times, even though we're told to have, let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. A lot of times we fall very short of bearing the marks within our heart of the Lord. And that's why I love this walk that we've taken through the Ten Commandments, because we haven't just stopped at the do's and the don'ts, but we've looked at the why and then also the how. And the how always leads us to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law. If we're trying to follow these commandments and if we're trying to make these commandments foundational in our lives, we will fall short if Jesus is not the center, if Jesus is not the center point. And I've, I've loved this is that God just didn't give us these commandments to tell us what he hates. He gave us these commandments to show us what is precious to him. We oftentimes look at the, the commandment and say, it says, don't lie. So we think God hates lying, but also on the other side of that is God loves and holds truth as precious. So while we say, yes, we don't need to engage in lying, what we need to embrace even more is the truth that sets us free. 
And that's really the title of the message today is don't lie because the truth is the only thing that will set us free. And I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers said several years ago. He said, every one of God's 10 commandments is given to protect something that's very precious to him. Whether it's our conception of God or whether it be the name of God, whether it's the worship of God, whether it be the relationship with our parents that we have, whether it's the relationship with our spouses, whether it be the personal property that we have, all of these laws are given to protect something that is precious. And this commandment, the ninth commandment, is given to protect our personal reputation and the reputation of others that we are living with and around as well. Because it says, do not lie, do not give false witness, or do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. So not only is it protecting our reputation, our integrity, but it's also protecting the reputation and the integrity of others around us as well. Because there's a book somewhere that I read that said that as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be marked by love for people, right? That's what the word says. That is to be the biggest mark of our lives is that we have love for God and love for other people. We can't love other people when all we're doing is dogging them. We just, we just can't do that. And a lot of times, I know in the South we do this. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. But in the South, it, it doesn't mean that we just begin the phrase with bless his heart and then we just rip them open. When we love folks, we look for the good in them and we try to celebrate uh, those things. So I've learned a whole lot through this series and I hope that you've learned that as well. This is the goodness of God that even through his laws, even through his commands, Even through those things, he's loving us and giving us a path towards understanding him more. Remember, all the way back at the beginning of this series, we talked about how the book of Exodus is about God revealing himself to his people. The word of God is him revealing himself to us. His laws, his commandments don't just give us a list to follow if we want to make him happy. More than that, it's a list that we look at that gives us an expression of who he is. And it pulls us to his heart when we take the proper view of it. But today we're talking about lying, right? So everybody knows about lying, right? How many of you have ever lied before? Okay, so like those of you who are not raising your hand, you just lied, like, what, what's wrong with you? You're in church, man. What are you lying? Every, we've all lied before, whether it's a white lie, whether it's, you know, you know all these, these. There's no levels of lies, by the way. Lying is wrong. It's something we do. And there's a lot of forms of lying, right? We all probably have a problem with lying. Statistics tell us that 91% of Americans in polls have admitted to lying at least on a weekly basis. On a weekly basis. Most of us are probably lying when we said that because it's probably on a daily basis that we lie. A lot of times we lie to ourselves too. I lie to myself every morning I wake up and say, today's the day that I start that diet. I lie to myself every single day that I do that. So I'm not sure if that's really true that 91% of Americans admit to lying, but I have no doubt that most of us are pretty well connected to this commandment, right? So this is gonna like hit all of us where we live. Lying takes on a lot of different forms though. There's the straight up lie that you just make up to get yourself out of a jam, right? The officer pulls you over and says, do you know why I pulled you over today? You're like, no, I have no idea. You know why? Because you were doing 150 in a a 15 and you're going to jail. No. Um, So we lie to try to get ourselves out of trouble. We'll just make something completely false up. There's also the half truth or the twisted truth, saying something that is technically true, but saying it in a way that's kind of misleading. Like there's that corny old joke about the preacher several years ago who bought a boat and he named it Visitation. So that when, like, the deacons called him, he could say that, and asked him what he was doing, he could say he was out on visitation. You see, it's technically true. You know, it is true. He's out on visitation, his boat, but, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily what he would like to lead people to believe. Or the, the, the seminary student, you know, went to this Christian college and wanted to sound really spiritual, so she nicknamed her bed The Word. So that when her parents called and said, you know, how, how's things going, she could say, I just spent all day in The Word. You have no idea how awesome it was. It was just so refreshing. You know, so there's that half truth that we'll tell, right? The exaggeration or the stretch truth that we're we're really good at doing. We exaggerate the truth to make a point. We inflate our success to make others or ourselves look better. There's lies that we tell to avoid owning up to the things that we're ashamed that we've done. This is probably one that we're probably guilty of a lot. Everyone tries to do this with their sin. We try to lie. And a lot of times we lie to ourselves and say, oh, it's not that bad. The Bible says sin leads to death. So anytime we try to convince ourselves that sin is not that bad, we're lying to ourselves. But we try to lie about things that we're just trying to 
cover up and we're ashamed that we've done or that we've not done. Not being honest to our boss about why we didn't meet the deadline or, you know, being a student saying the dog ate my homework or traffic was just so bad even though you only passed one car on the way and you were still 30 minutes late. Lies that we will tell to avoid confrontation or awkward situations. And I'm not talking about being judicious or being, uh, you know, being, being kind with your words and the way you deliver the truth, but I'm talking about just lying when something is completely, you know something's completely false just because you don't want to have an awkward conversation. The classic breakup line. It's not you, it's, it's me. No, it's not, it's not me, it's you. That's why I'm breaking up with you. That's why I don't want to be. We can work on me, but you, you're a lost cause. That's what we really should be saying, but we lie to try to make it something else. So like with the structure of all of our other commandments this morning, I want to kind of look at what does this commandment truly mean because as we dig beneath the surface of don't lie, what is it really saying? And then we're also going to look at why God cares so much about our honesty. And then we'll also look at how we best follow this commandment. And guess what? Spoiler alert, it's going to point to Jesus again, as it always has. So first of all, let's look at the commandment a little bit closer. First of all, we have to understand about this commandment, understanding the ninth commandment, is that this commandment actually, when it was given, it was meant to cover all legal and personal proceedings. It was meant to cover every single thing that you did in life. But it really applied to the court system or to the, to the judicial system of the day. When it says false testimony or false witness, it actually makes you think of a courtroom. When you come up and you put your hand on a Bible and they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And you say, I do. And you sit down and you give your account of what you're talking about. It was vitally important. It's vitally important in our judicial system. It was very vitally important in the ancient judicial system because all they had to go on was testimony. Evidence was not as easily found back then as it is today. And so the testimony and the eyewitness accounts of people, if there were two or three witnesses that agreed together, it was almost certain to condemn someone of the crime that they were accused of. But if you did not have corroborating stories, there was no way, according to Levitical law, there was really no way to condemn a person for the crime that they'd been accused of if you did not have corroborating stories. So it was vital that the judicial system have that purity. So someone being honest was definitely a necessity so that justice could be carried out. Today, we have to be honest in our dealings because we are supposed to be people who seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. When we just get into living dishonest lives, we stretch the truth, we tell half-truths, whether we're in a court, a courtroom or whether we're just, or whether we're in a boardroom or whether we're in a, a classroom or whether we're at home, doesn't matter where it is. When we choose to lie, we have walked away from that cause that we're supposed to chase after of seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. Honesty is required in the case of a charge against one's neighbor. The commandment implies that honesty is requirement in all of one's affairs, not just those legal affairs, but in any affairs, business dealings, neighborhood association meetings, anything, friendships, family relationships, social media posts. That one hits us where we live, doesn't it? See, this is so important in our current political and our social climate today where truth just seems to be relative and truth is just whatever you say you want it to be. We hear of fake news. We hear of clickbait. We hear of conspiracy theories. Listen, followers of Jesus have a true responsibility to be about sharing the truth. Getting involved in all of that and getting involved in, in, in what's true and what's not, unless we know it's true, we shouldn't be going around sharing it. So I try to live my life by on, on, with my online presence, and not only just my online presence, but in my life as well. If I don't know it's true, then I don't need to share it, and I don't need to post it. See, because the commandments is the last of the relational moral commandments. Remember we talked about how the commandments are divided up. There was the, the commandments in our relationship with God. And those were like the first four commandments. Then we get into commandment five through 10, and they're more like relational. It has to do with our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our neighbors, our relationship with our fellow man. And so this is technically and really the last commandment that is given because next week we're going to get into covet, and that's going to basically be like a catch-all for everything. So this is the last specific one. After adultery and after, uh, after stealing and after murder and all of these things, he says, don't lie. And this is not just thrown out there as like, oh, let me add this to the list. It's added there at this place for a reason. Because lying is what normally we build all of the other things on. 
When we murder, we have to try to cover it up, right? I mean, I'm not saying that from experience, but, you know, we, we, we usually try to cover it up, right? When, if, if we're cheating, and again, I'm not saying that by experience, but I've heard that cheaters will try to cover up their cheating ways. If we steal, we try to cover that up. Lying predicates, it's the glue that holds all of the other things that we do wrong to other people together. Matter of fact, if we are honest at heart, we probably don't get into all of those other things. So it kind of ends up being that root, right? It's the way that we perpetuate the breaking of all the other commandments. Adultery is a lie. Stealing is a lie because most of the time you have to lie in order to do it. So this commandment also, not only is it kind of the thing that predicates all of the other moral codes, it's also something that has an eye on the truth, but also has an eye on our neighbor. This commandment is not just saying, don't lie and you'll be okay. This commandment is saying, do not lie about other people as well. We're really bad for that in today's kind of climate, aren't we? Because we have these devices that we can just destroy people with. Somebody can spend 50 years building a life and a reputation, and in 50 keystrokes, you can tear it apart. This is why truth is so important. It's why we have to be committed to the truth. And really, the thing is, is that untruth, lies, are often more entertaining. Lies are what normally gets the press, right? It's what people want to hear. Why? Because our hearts love sin. Our hearts love what the flesh, and our flesh craves after those things. But the Spirit must be living on and producing truth and feeding on truth and sharing truth. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. Are my words truthful? And do I commonly exploit truth for my personal benefit? Am I interested in stretching the truth or am I interested in just sharing the truth the way that it is? See, I'm, I'm, I'm bad for this. This is one, I'll just be transparent. This is one of my, my things. I'm a pretty insecure person, okay? And a lot of times what I'll try to do, what that insecurity makes me try to do, is it makes me, when I'm talking to people, I'll not tell an untruth, but I'll be tempted to share something that's a little bit more than true because it makes me either look better or it looks what I'm go, like what I'm going through worse so that people feel more sorry for me or people respect me more as because I'm just, you know, a fighter. Anybody else do that? We're all probably people who do that. But when we do that, what we're doing is we're taking the attention off of God who we're supposed to be glorifying and we're putting it upon ourselves. And then what we're doing is we're causing people to look at us more than we're causing people to look at God. So we have to be very careful with the way that we share the truth. See, all of these socially moral commandments target the most extreme results of where our heart could go. When it says don't commit adultery, Jesus said that the real point is in remaining faithful to your spouse, even in your thought life. When it said don't murder, Jesus said the real point is this command is to love others and value their lives as much as you value their, your own. When he said don't steal, Paul said the point is not just about keeping your hands in your own pockets, but living lives that are generous and are a blessing to other people and viewing everything you have as a potential gift for the glory of God. So when he says do not lie, it's not just tell the truth, it's live your life and speak your words to bless other people rather than tear them down or build you up to a place that you really don't belong to be. See, when we lie about our prominence, we tear away from the glory of God. We steal from that. You see, so all of these socially moral commandments that we get, they're all predicated on a heart that just basically is about us. And what it's calling us to do is shift our hearts towards a focus on God. See, the reason that this commandment sits here is because God intends for us to bless others with truth. Have you ever thought, why do we have the Bible? There's probably a lot of reasons we have that. But one of the predominant reasons we have the Bible is because it's the truth of God. Everywhere else, we're not going to find the truth, but we go to the word of God and it is the truth. It is true, cover to cover. It doesn't just contain the truth. It is God's word. Therefore, it is true. This is why we gather weekly. This is why we gather to study God's word because it's the truth. It's what we can depend upon because in a world of lies, we need the truth to combat that. But if we're knee deep in lies and we're knee deep in, in gossip and conspiracy and all of these things, then we're combating the word that sets us free. See, the reason that 
God says for us not to engage in lying is because he wants us to engage in blessing others with our words rather than leading them down a wrong path or tearing them apart with the words that we have. So the question we have is, are my, true, are my words true or do I commonly exploit the truth for my personal benefit? Am I prone to lie to get out of jams? Am I willing to stretch the truth to make myself look better? If that's the case, we're struggling with a heart that lives inside of all of us to lie and that lying eventually steals the glory of God. Gossip is probably the best example of the destruction of our words, right? Why does gossip fall under that category of lying? Because usually it's not truthful. Maybe if you ever played that game, you know, telephone, you know, where you start off with a, with, with a statement and then by the time it gets around the room, especially six feet apart, you know, I mean, that's, that's it's something that's lost in translation, Right? You say, well, that's just because, you know, somebody doesn't, you know, somebody may not be able to translate everything exactly the right. Well, what if a person within that phone line decided, I don't want to say what I heard. I want to say what I want to say. And all of a sudden, everything gets changed. This is what gossip does. Gossip usually never, it may start with truth, but it never ends with truth. And it's the re result is that by the time that gossip gets around about a person, People take that and they stereotype them and they categorize and they characterize a person by what you've said rather than by what they know of the person. Because again, we're more prone to hear the juicy stuff than we are to hear the truth. So this is why gossip falls under that. And it's usually also done without love. We usually don't share the negative stuff about people because we love them. If we truly love a person but we need to deal with the negative in their life, who do we normally go to if we truly love them? We go to that person. This is why Jesus said in the book of Matthew that if you have a problem with your brother or sister, you go to that brother or sister. You don't go to everybody and then gang up and bring them all to that brother or sister. He says you go to that brother or sister and if they'll hear you, you've probably been able to restore a relationship that was going to be broken. But what we normally do is we'll tell everybody else. And we have these tools now through social media where we can tell the whole world, man, within 10 seconds. And this is why people are living so mad at each other, so diametrically opposed to one another politically. There's people fighting with one another in churches all over the place. We've got, people, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who can't unify around Christ because we're too divided by the lies that we've spread about one another and by the slander that we've spread about one another. It's eating us alive. So let me think about this. Let me go back to that, that fake news, that clickbait thing that we were talking about earlier. We're to be the people of the truth, right? That means that the people of Christ need to be known for sharing the gospel more than we need to be known for sharing clickbait or conspiracy theories or fake news and stuff like that. Listen, we only have so long on this planet. Do I want to spend my time on this planet being more concerned about the things that are only going to exist on this planet or do I want to spend my time concerned about things that are going to live on far beyond this in eternity? The choice is ours. And when we spend our time thinking about the things in eternity, we will always be pushed towards the truth. Because eternity is God's business and truth is God's medium of communication. So here's God's views on our lives. We talked about understanding what it is. Why does he say that he wants us to be honest? Well, let's just go through a few verses together and see what God says. In Psalm chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 says, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable or an abomination to him. He says, He hates arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet that are eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among others. In there is a lying tongue right? He says, I hate when people lie. In Proverbs chapter 12, he says, one who is good obtains favor, favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a person who schemes or who lies. Psalm chapter 15, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives blamelessly, who practices righteousness, and who acknowledges the truth is in his heart. 
but who does not slander with his tongue or lie with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. Now we're getting into that whole commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. He says, who are the ones who can walk closely with God? Those who are truthful about people. In Revelation chapter 21, he says, cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their share will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You say, wow, thanks for this feel-good moment, pastor. I appreciate that. Revelation 22. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What he's saying there in Revelation are outside the kingdom of God are all of those who practice these things. Now, the glory of the gospel is that Revelation 21 and 22 are not condemnations on all of us if we have that in our past, but if we have Jesus in our future, all of those things are covered. And I'm thankful for the gospel because it is Jesus who brings us to him who takes our lying ways, who takes our immoral ways, who takes all of those things and redeems us, covers us by his blood, forgives us and draws us into his kingdom. But we have to understand that outside of Christ, this is where we are. God hates sin. And that's the truth to give. And that's not being harsh. That's not being cruel. That's being honest and lovingly honest. God hates our sin. We need to be truthful in how we share, but we also need to be loving in how we share that truth as well. God cares a lot about lying. How much does he care? In Acts chapter 5, there's a story about Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were a husband and wife in the early church, and they had seen a guy go out and sell some land, and the guy came in and gave all of the money from that land to the church. And everybody in the church was so thankful. And they used it to propagate the gospel through their area. And so Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, we own some land too. So we want some of that credit. So they went out and they sold their property too. The thing is, is that they decided to take a little share of that and kept it for themselves so that they could buy a bass boat. I don't know if they bought a bass boat, but whatever it was, they kept a portion of it for themselves. All right. And so that portion they kept, but they, they brought it to the church and said, here are all the prophets from the land. And they said, is it all the prophets? And they said, yes, it is. It's all the prophets. We held nothing back. And immediately they both died. You say, well, I've told lies and I haven't dropped dead, you know. Death comes in a lot of different forms. There's the death of relationship. There's the death of connection to God. There's physical death as well. Each time we engage in falsehoods, each time we knowingly engage in sin, there is a death of connection a little bit. It drives us further and further away in fellowship with God. It doesn't cause us to fall out of his family, but it will put distance between us relationally. And so Ananias and Sapphira saw the most severe like dealing with that sin of lying. And here's the thing we have to understand. Our lying, our, our dishonesty in the way we live our lives and the way we share what we share may not lead to our physical death, but it could lead to someone else's. It could lead to someone else not coming to see Jesus for who he truly is. Our honesty is important. Our lives are dominated with lies and words that will tear down rather than bless others. Everywhere we go, I mean, would you say that we live in a positive society or a negative society right now? It's pretty much overly negative in a lot of ways, right? But have you ever noticed that we see the things negative and we still run to them? We still run to the negative because it's within our human nature to do that. This is why God props this up and says, that's not the way to life. That's not the way to an abundant life like I promised you. The way to an abundant life like I promised you is to come and to center yourself on the truth of God's word, on the truth that you are redeemed. You are unlovable, but I have redeemed you because I love you. Center yourself on that rather than centering yourself on all of the lies and all the deception that is around us all the time. And the thing we have to understand is that our talk is not cheap. There's that old line that says talk is cheap, right? Actions matter. Well, if talk was cheap, why does the Bible tell us that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks? Why does the Bible tell us that? Nothing reveals the brokenness and the sickness of our hearts more than the deceit and the hatred that spews from our mouths. In Matthew chapter 12, you won't see this one on the screen, but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, like the really religious guys in, the whole, in, in Jerusalem. And he says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you are evil? He said, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Our talk is not cheap. It's the most realistic illustration of the condition of our hearts. And I think one thing, especially in our technological society, 
Being able to get on a screen and hide behind a keyboard has shown our hearts even more. A lot of people say that what you see online is not reality. I think it's more reality than we give it credit for because we are left unchecked to speak and to talk as we really feel like we should. And it's dangerous and it's, it's scary to see the way many of us, Christians included, engage in some of that. See, our dishonest and our deceitful words will condemn us. Most of us think, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody. You know, we've gone through all these commands. I haven't killed anybody. Um, I, haven't, I haven't robbed a bank. You know, I've been faithful to my spouse. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I respected my mom and dad. I go to church. I'm a pretty good person. The problem is that Jesus said that we will be condemned by the words that we speak. What would your words reveal about how much you love the truth and how much you love people? What would your words reveal about that? Jesus said that our words condemn us. They reveal our dishonesty, they reveal our selfishness, and they reveal the idolatry in our hearts. So with all that feel-good truth this morning, you all feeling really good about yourselves today? Like, man, pastor is just such a loving guy. He loves us so much. He's just beating us over the head today. Again, this ain't me. This is the word. So let's look at the hope that we have in this. Because I love the fact that God doesn't give us this condemnation without giving us hope. There's nothing that he will give us that he's not provided us a way of escape in Jesus Christ. So let's look at how we overcome a lying spirit. First of all, we have to understand our enemy. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I always seem to just be tempted to lie? Because most of us don't wake up saying, man, I just want to lie to as many people as I can today. But that temptation comes. Why do we often feel like we need to give into it? Because lying grows out of our deep root of insecurity. We are all insecure. I just, I, just, I just displayed that just a minute ago when I shared with you. I'm insecure, and so sometimes I'll try to build myself up, and I'll stretch the truth. Every one of you shook your head and said, yeah, I'm there with you. I do the same thing. Why do we do that? Because we're insecure. Because we know in our heart of hearts, we know we don't measure up. There are very few people in this world who honestly are overconfident with themselves. And if they are overconfident in public, it's because they're trying to compensate for a deep insecurity that they have that they don't want anybody to know about. We lie, we put on masks, we put on facades, and we try to build ourselves up because we're insecure. And why are we insecure? Because of sin. Because sin has separated us from our God and our creator and our separation from our creator then creates insecurity. So because insecurity causes us to grasp for anything that will make us feel safer, anything that makes us feel stronger, anything that makes us feel better. This is what leads to many sins. This is what leads to a lot of the things that we've been talking about through this whole series. Anything that will make me feel stronger, safer, more secure, or better about myself, I'll grasp for that. The problem is that the word of God, the truth says, the only thing that will truly set you free is me. The only thing that will ever truly set you free is coming face to face with the reality that you're not enough, that you don't measure up. But guess what? Jesus more than measures up, and in his love, he died so that you could become part of his family. And he rose from the dead so you could conquer all of this stuff that holds us down and makes us insecure. Let me give you this, this, this understanding. When we're insecure, we, uh, we immediately grasp all of these different things. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, which isn't very far back from the book of Exodus, where we were, but all the way back at the very beginning, you get Adam and Eve. Most of us know the story. Adam and Eve were the first sinners. They were the first humans, but they were also the first sinners, right? Why did Adam and Eve sin? They sinned because they didn't think they were good enough and the serpent convinced them that if they ate the fruit, they would be like God. And immediately, being like God made them feel like they weren't good enough as they were, so they had to eat the fruit. So they ate the fruit and guess what happened? Immediately when they sinned, they became insecure. The Bible says immediately after they ate the fruit, they realized that they had been naked. Because up until this time, God had created the Garden of Eden like a nudist colony. Everybody could be naked and it didn't matter. It was okay. But immediately after they eat that fruit, they realize they're naked. Why? Not because their eyes were all of a sudden open and because Eve just all of a sudden got this amazing fashion sense. It's because immediately when they sinned, they were insecure. And they had this feeling that I need to cover something. And so what they do, they went out and they tried to cover it and they couldn't cover it with the right thing. God had to come in and even cover them. And then the Bible says that they went and they hid too because they knew that God was going to come around for the afternoon walk. 
And they went and they hid. Imagine trying to play hide and seek with God. He, guy always knows where you're at, right? You're never going to win. But they hide and they try to hide their nakedness. Why? Because sin creates insecurity. And so what were they doing in that covering? They were lying to themselves. They were lying. I can hide over here behind this bush, behind the creator of the universe, the one who put the bush here. We can hide from him and we don't have to walk with him today. He doesn't have to know what we did. That's wrong. They're insecure and they're trying to cover themselves up. Because when we've lost our security, we feel naked, we feel exposed, we feel not accepted, we feel not acceptable, and we feel like we have to promote ourselves and make ourselves look good. Them trying to sew the fig leaves together was trying to cover their nakedness and also make themselves look good. Better before God. And that's why God, when he sees them, he says, why are you wearing that? Because he's causing them to confront the reality of their sin. The reality that they have fallen short of God's standard. Let me give you another example of this. Jacob, back in the Old Testament as well, was the younger of two twins that was born to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is the son of Abraham, and Abraham is the one that God made the covenant with that he would bless all generations and all nations and all world, all the world through him because the Messiah would be born through his line. So in those days, when you were the firstborn male in the home, that meant a lot because they were given the majority of the birthright, they were given the majority of the inheritance, and in this case especially, all of that meant that the, mess the messianic covenant would pass on as well. So the first one born in the, in the family line to Isaac and Rebekah is, is a guy named Esau. And Esau is the firstborn only by a few seconds over Jacob. And the interesting thing, the Bible says that when Esau was born, Jacob, Jacob's hand came out with Esau's heel because Jacob is literally trying to pull Esau back in the womb so he could be born first. It's almost like from the very beginning, Jacob's name, by the way, means supplanter or means someone who is sneaky or who tries to overturn. Guess what Esau's name is? It just means hairy. I mean, get this. You give your baby their name the minute they're born. And back then, names meant a lot. It was like the best description of who they were or what their parents wanted them to be. And they look and they're like, whoa, that dude is hairy. And they're like, yep, that's Esau. That's all we can call him because it's the only thing people are going to realize about him. And we're going to see how hairy he is in just a second too. But here's the thing. Somewhere around the teenage years, God tells Jacob, I realize that the birthright and I realize that the inheritance always goes to the firstborn. But in this case, Jacob, I'm bending, I, I'm changing things. He says, Jacob, even though you're the second born, you're going to get the inheritance that I've promised to your grandfather Abraham. So don't stress it. What does Jacob do? He stresses it. As Isaac is getting old and he's worn out and he's pretty much on his deathbed, he's blind, he's going blind and he can't hear very well and he knows his life is getting down to the end of, the end of time. He begins to think about having this wonderful ceremony where the inheritance is passed on and so he calls in his oldest son who is also his favorite. And he calls in Esau and he says, Esau, I want you to go out and I want you to hunt and I want you to catch a deer and I want you to fix me some of your good venison and I want you to bring it in. And after you fed me, we're going to have the ceremony where I pass on the inheritance to you. And Jacob is thinking, hold on for a minute. God told me it was mine. And so he begins thinking, hold on, is God going back on his word? And Rebecca, who is, who is Jacob's mom, says, why don't we just steal some identity? It's probably one of the first cases of identity theft that we ever see in history. And so while Esau is gone, Jacob goes out into the, out into the barn and he kills, he kills a goat. Now what you have to know about Esau and Jacob is they couldn't be two more different guys. Esau was like a man's man. He spent most of his time out hunting and in the fields. He spent time with his dad outside and he was just rough and tumble. Like I said, he was hairy from head to toe. I mean, he was constantly just, you know, he was kind of like the guy that wore the big belt buckle and he drove the Ford F-150, you know, and he was just, you know, just, just like the man's man kind of guy. All right. Then you have Jacob, completely the opposite. He was a little bit more, you know, his, his calluses, he didn't even have calluses. His brother's calluses had calluses, right? Jacob didn't. Bible said he was real fair-skinned. You know, he probably had trouble growing facial hair. He liked pastels. He probably chose to drive a Prius instead. If you drive a Prius, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying, you know, it's not, a, it's not an F-150. But, you know, he's just kind of like not your man's man kind of guy. So they're just completely different guys, right? 
So if he's going to pass himself off to his dad, he's going to have to do some work. Even though his dad is going blind and he's deaf and, and, all, and, and, and can barely hear and stuff, he's going to have to like pass himself off. So what does he do? He goes out, he kills a goat. And the Bible says he kills a goat and he skins the goat and he takes the skin and the fur from the goat and puts it on his arms and puts it around his neck, which causes me to think, how hairy is Esau really? Look, if somebody's trying to impersonate you and they have to kill a wool-bearing animal to be as hairy as you are, you're not human, you're a Wookiee. You're, you're like Chewbacca, all right? So he, he walks in to his dad, he's, he's, he's dressed like that, and then the Bible says he takes the raw meat, like, and, and, he, and he rubs it all over him, so he smells like dead animal when he comes in. And so all of a sudden, Isaac is like, oh, there's my son Esau. I mean, how did Esau ever get a woman? That's what I'm asking. So he comes in, and as he touches his arm, he's like, that's my son Esau, and he feeds him the food. And the whole time, it's Jacob. And Jacob says, here's, here's what I, he's like, here's what I get. He, you know, here's, here's, your, here's your food, Dad. You know, he makes his voice real deep. And so Jacob does something. He says, he eats, and he passes the blessing on to his son. Now, this is something within the ancient Jewish culture that was irreversible. There was no Isaac going back and saying, ooh, I did an oopsie, I didn't realize this is something that was passed on. It could not legally be reversed. And so he passes on the blessing to him, has the ceremony, and the Bible says specifically that as Jacob does that, he crosses his hands when he gives the blessing. And that was a picture of God actually intervening in this because not only did the blessing go to him, but a hand of cursing. Whenever you crossed your hands, it was a symbol of cursing within the Jewish culture as well. And so when he blessed him, it was also a curse that fell as well. What kills me about this is why Jacob, who had been promised by God that he was going to get the inheritance, couldn't trust God enough to let God work it out. He had to create his own truth. And in creating his own truth, he created a curse. What did Jacob get out of all this? Oh yeah, he, he got the blessing. He got the blessing the way he wanted to get it. But he also got the curse because his brother comes home. His brother realizes what, his, what, I, what Jacob had done. He realizes he's been ripped off of his, of his inheritance. And Isaac also lives long enough to realize what had been done as well. He destroys his father, probably shortened his days because he died of grief. He destroyed the relationship with his brother. He has to leave the house and he goes on, run for, on the run for 30 years before anything is ever made right with his brother again. Did he get what he wanted? Yes. But it had already been promised to him by God. But he was so insecure in himself and also insecure in his faith in trusting God's word that he had to go and do it on his own. This is what we do so many times, isn't it? We know the promises of God. We know God has promised to provide us our needs according to his riches and glory. We know God has promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. We know the promises, yet we try to make our own promise fulfillment by lying, by manipulating, by trusting in other things, by trading in God's goodness for what looks immediately good at the moment. And this is what Jacob did, and it led to destruction all the way around. The destruction that lies in our path is that our desire to cover our sin always keeps us from being able to experience the healing of God. When Jacob tried to cover these things up, he went on the run and he tried to run away, but he couldn't outrun God. When Jacob is in the wilderness and he has a night where he wrestles with God and the Bible says that God touched the inner part of Jacob's thigh and Jacob walked for the rest of his life with a limp. Every step he took reminded him if you just trusted me, life would have been different. He kept trying to cover it up what he did. And then we also try to cover our sin. When Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin, what it does is it keeps us from being able to experience the healing of God. Adam and Eve tried to pass the buck. When the Bible, when the Bible says that God came to them and said, why are you naked? What have you done? What happened? Adam said, well, the woman you gave me gave me this fruit. Almost like, I didn't know. She just gave me an apple and I ate it and it was really, really good. And all of a sudden, I'm naked. And Eve said, well, the snake actually, you know, lied to me and told me. And God, is, it was only when they finally came to the place where they understood their sin that God could do redeeming. When we try to cover our sin, it keeps us from being able to experience the healing of God. See, God will always deal in the realm of reality. Always. 
because he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is why the Bible tells us that the truth will set us free. We often hear that verse and we quote that verse, like the truth will set you free. And a lot of times we use that in a way when we're just, we just think that we know better than somebody else and we're just giving them truth and saying it's going to say, but the truth is painful. The truth requires us uncovering the things that we've tried to cover our entire life. Just like in the book of John, chapter four, when Jesus comes into the town of Samaria and he meets with a Samaritan woman, right? We know some of this story. The Samaritan woman comes in the middle of the day at noontime to come and collect the water from Jacob's well. Interestingly enough, we're going from Jacob to Jacob's well to the Samaritan woman. See how that all pieces together? He comes to the well. <laughs> and the Samaritan woman comes there and she's coming alone. And the reason she comes alone is she doesn't come when most of the other women come in the, middle, in the early part of the day when they're beginning their day because she has been around those ladies before and she's no longer accepted in the club because of the way she lives her life. Because the Samaritan woman has a lot of things she's been trying to hide and cover up and ignore. She's trying to live in an alternate reality. She's not trying to deal with the truth of where her life has taken her. Because she's had multiple failed marriages and she's living with a guy right now. She's had affairs, all of these things that are going on. And so out of shame, she's trying to hide from everybody. But interestingly enough, she could hide from everybody in her town, but she could not hide from the grace of Jesus. So she comes up to the well thinking she's going to be alone and she sees this guy just sitting there and she's thinking, great. So she's trying to do her job real quick and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, how you doing? Could I have some water? I, I want some water. And she says, why are you even talking to me? If you knew who I was, you wouldn't want to talk to me. And so he says, I know you're thirsty, but I have water to offer that if you drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. And she looks at him and she's like, you don't even have a bucket or a rope. How are you going to get water? He said, well, my water doesn't come from this well. He said, if you drink from it, you won't thirst again. She's thinking, you mean I don't have, if I get your water, I don't ever have to come here and try to avoid all of the, all the embarrassment and all that stuff. If I don't, I can have one more sip of your water and I don't have to come here anymore. Sign me up for that. So Jesus starts to talk to her and all of a sudden begins to kind of really delve into the reality of her life that she's been trying to cover forever. And his conviction begins to set in. She says, I want that. And he says, okay, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. I'm single. And he's like, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the guy that you're with right now is not your husband. And all of a sudden, she's thinking, who are you? Have you been watching me? Have you been listening to my Alexa at home? What's going on? All of a sudden, Jesus begins to melt down this wall that she's been spending her whole life trying to build up that covered her reality. The only thing that was getting her by from day to day was trying to ignore and skirt the real issue that she was broken. And Jesus, in a second, melted that down. And it was only when she finally realized that she could not hide and the best thing that she could do was stand completely exposed before Jesus Christ, then she could have forgiveness is when everything changed. What's awesome is through their, through their discussion, I know we're short on time, so I'm not going to go through the whole story, but at the end, when, when she finally trusts Christ and realizes that she's standing there talking to Jesus and her life could be redeemed and all of that, God, God could erase all of that and make her whole again spiritually. The Bible says that she runs back into the village and she doesn't just get the guy that Jesus said. She runs back into the village and starts screaming, come and meet the Messiah. This guy told me everything that I've ever done. She'd spent her whole life trying to avoid talking to people. She spent her whole life trying to avoid letting people feel, realize who she was and what she'd done. And now she's telling everybody what she'd done because all of a sudden that stuff was in the past. That stuff had been brought out into the light and in the light of God's grace, that stuff is obliterated. Why do we lie? We lie because we're trying to cover up our mistakes. We're trying to cover up the things that have led us to insecurity before God. And the beauty of the gospel is that God says that when you come to me and you stand in the light of reality, in the light of being fully exposed in your sin before a holy and righteous God, that is when you can be healed. 
So when God says all the way back in Exodus, thousands of years before Jesus came, he said, don't lie against your neighbor. He was setting us up for the moment that Jesus would spread his arms out on a cross and he would pay for all of our sins so that we could come to him personally one day and have all of our sins exposed and have no other recourse but to fall upon the grace of Jesus Christ to set us free. And that's the question we're left with today. Are we going to accept that grace, let ourselves be fully exposed in the light of God's truth? Or will we continue to lie to try to cover it up and look for something else to be our healing? So as we lead towards a time of invitation and decision this morning, I just want to ask you a couple of questions today. Where do you stand? Where are you at in your walk with, with God? I've spoken mostly from a standpoint of those who know Christ as their Savior today. Listen, if anyone doesn't have an excuse to be engaging in lies and dishonesty, it's the children of God who've been already exposed to the truth. But if you're, if you're here or you're watching this morning and you've never come to that point like the Samaritan woman did, <clears throat> where you realized that everything was just laid out on the table before God and looked and, and still understood that in spite of all the things that I hide from everyone else so that they continue to love me, that you know them all, have already known them all, knew them before I even did them, and you loved me enough to send your son. That's grace. That's love. That is love that it cannot be compared. If you are here today or you're watching and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have not trusted him as your Savior, you've not fallen upon that grace, do it today. Just like Jesus said to the woman at the well, do you want this living water? Do you want it? What it is is to receive it and understand. I'm not perfect. Admit, I'm a sinner. He knows it all. But he loves you and will redeem you. And the Bible says that all we must do is to pray and ask him. And he will answer that prayer. That's the one prayer that I can tell you on the authority of God's word. If you will pray and ask him to save you, he will immediately answer it. There's no waiting. He, will, he stands ready to answer that prayer. But we must ask so if you don't know Christ, in just a moment, come today and we can talk about that. If you know Christ, you say, hey, I've just been kind of engaging in that dishonesty and that deception. I kind of like it. I've kind of come to where it tastes better in my spirit than the truth. The only thing that's going to get us there is to come and to see how beautiful the truth of God's word really is. Come to him. Be reunited with his truth. Get back in his word. See him for who he is. He's not a uh, this Lord and master hovering over you, watching you, waiting for you to mess up. He is there along with the cloud of witnesses cheering you on saying, glorify me before the nation so more may know me. Are you perfect? No, but in me, you are enough. So live freely and truthfully before this world. Let them see, it. let the truth be told. Look, man, this idea that as Christians, we have to just only show people the good things that we do, that's never going to lead a broken culture to a forgiving Christ if they think that I have to be perfect before I come. Let the truth be told and let the truth of our sin lead to the glory of his forgiveness. So as we bow our head and we close our eyes this morning, I just ask you this morning, do you know Christ? If you don't, come today. If you know Christ, but you say, hey man, I, I just need to be more truthful. I need to love the truth more. Then come today as well. Father, I pray this morning that you will move in this message and in this time. Move in this time as we give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.